Welcome to the most ambitious crossover event in, in pop culture history. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is a very special episode of two of Entertainment Weekly's podcasts, two of my, my personal favorite podcasts. This week, we will be talking about the two biggest fantasy shows on television right now. We are joined by the hosts of EW's West of Westeros podcast, talking about all things House of the Dragon, Lauren Morgan and Nick Romano. And then representing the Tolkien side of things, we have the, the two hosts of Entertainment Weekly's All Rings Considered about the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. I'm Devin Kogan, and I'm here with my co-host Christian Holub. Hello, guys. Are you ready for a very intense crossover episode? Oh, yeah. You better believe Bring it. it. On. Fantasy <laughs> franchise smackdown. <laughs> <laughs> Crisis on infinite podcasts right now. <laughs> I know. It's 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 BoJack Horseman. What is this, a crossover episode? I'm really excited. This has been something we've been wanting to do for a really long time. It is, you know, these are two of the, the biggest shows in, in television history, both airing at the same time, they both have dragons and fantasy and swords and magic trees. A lot of magic trees in both of them. Um, so yeah, but I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you guys a little bit about this. We're not going to structure this as like a true debate because we don't really believe in pitting people against each other, but also we do a little bit. So we're going to argue a little bit and also talk a little bit about the things that we really like. But I, I mean, I guess to start Let's talk less about the merits of each individual show. And what have the last couple of weeks been like for you guys, just having two really great fantasy shows on television? It's kind of a wealth of riches right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I've enjoyed both House of the Dragon and The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. Every, oh my God, every time the show comes on, I'm like, The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> But I've been enjoying both of them for different reasons. I mean, I feel like they each have what the other is lacking. Like Lord of the Rings is so bright and you can actually see what's happening. House of the Dragon, not so much. <laughs> the Lord of the Rings is uh, about friendship. Like I cried a couple of times watching just the friendship dynamic. People are generally just nicer people on on the Rings of Power. <laughs> There's no really good people on, like you know, they killed one of the nicest people off on house of the dragon so our sweet <laughs> little boy on our side of the uh, on our side of it yeah, yeah and i wonder if you guys how you guys feel about this that since i've mostly been working on rings of power you know i'm watching an episode of rings of power but it's not all for fun you know i'm taking all my notes to write my recaps rew.com prepping what i'm gonna say to Devin on our podcast and House of the Dragon, even though I've come by West of Westeros a couple times, is so much more like a treat to me. Like, I'm just totally enjoying it. And and I don't have to worry about taking as many notes. That's your guy's job. I wonder if Rings of Power feels the same for you guys, that that's kind of just a thing you can enjoy without also having to work on it as much as, you know, Nick, you're seeing those House of the Dragon episodes days in advance, figuring out who you're going to talk to, prepping all your stuff. So that's kind of the fun thing about having both of these shows on at the same time is you get to really dig deep into one and maybe enjoy the other uh, a little more casually. Yeah, I'm, fr I'm freaking exhausted. I don't know, Devin, <laughs> how you're faring. I'm so tired. <laughs> I'm so tired. 
<laughs> but Lauren, I'll, I'll throw that out to you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like there were weeks, there was a couple weeks ago where I was uh, researching high Valerian wedding rites. <laughs> it's just like, this is a little bit bonkers. And then I know Devin also, since uh, we co-host Dagoba Dispatch, like then I throw all the Star Wars stuff on top of it and I'm trying to tackle the High Republic books for Star Wars. So it's just been like, Lord, like when I get to the Rings of Power and I'm just like, I'm like, I'm not really guessing who, like when people were talking about like, who was Sauron, I was like, oh, really? That That's who that was? I was like, I was just kind of watching it super casual. And like, you know, it's like I read the appendices probably somewhere around 2003. So, and but I did not revisit them. So I, I've been much more casual with Rings of Power. Like, I'm like, I'm here for the ride and I'm not doing any research for this. So that's how it's been for me. Yeah, it's also been, they're two very different shows, like just, you know, uh, regardless of the different fantasy worlds that they're in. I really liked the fact that even though Lord of the Rings is based on a literary world, it's still something we haven't seen before. So we really don't have too many references to be like, oh, this is coming, you know, the the equivalent of knowing the Red Wedding and all of that. We haven't watched Lord of the Rings in like this format. Like Lord of the Rings isn't something we're used to watching one hour per week at a time, whereas House of the Dragon fits very, it's on at the same time that Game of Thrones was. You know, HBO Max didn't exist when when Game of Thrones went off the air, but there was another way to watch HBO on your TV. And it, so it's very much just kind of getting back into this regular rhythm of, oh, uh, uh, my che- my weekly check in with Westeros every Sunday night. It's literally got the same theme song. I mean, yeah, yeah. 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 Right. which we I really hopefully season two, they actually write a new theme song because that's just been aggravating to me <laughs> since they introduced it. <laughs> I was like, wait, another theme song, damn it. Like, <laughs> oh my we God. need another bop. Give me more orchestral, you know. You got a custom Howard Shore intro. I was like, come on. Yeah, I, I never got totally into the Rings of Power opening credits. I didn't really understand what it was. All. I mean, neither, same with House of the Dragon. I don't understand what it's about, but I was like, this is pretty. I like Howard Shore. I'm listening to this. Yeah, you know? yeah. Guys, it's a representation of how the Valar sang the world into existence by, you know, the way the, mm. you know, the, the vibrations. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. Sounds good. I'm somebody who, you know, I... I skipped both theme songs. Sorry. That makes me <laughs> wow, terrible. Wow. All right. It honestly took me until about like three weeks ago to understand what was going on in the House of the Dragon credits. I knew there was a lot of blood, but I didn't understand like, <laughs> oh, this is like these two houses are joining. And then these like, <laughs> I was like, I had, was like, there's a lot of blood. They have the same theme. So I'm skipping this. Like that's, I was just Liz, annoying. I mean, unfortunately, you'll kind of never, you'll just never really get a better fantasy TV uh, opening than the original Game of Thrones one. Yeah. Because it replicates yeah. the experience of the giant map at the beginning of a fantasy novel that is so key to the fantasy reading experience. And so that's that's still the goat as far as I'm concerned, the original Game of Thrones. So I understand why they wanted to call back to it, even though the result is kind of confusing. Yeah. You can literally perform the Cardi B WAP dance to the Game of Thrones theme. <laughs> Nick, I think we're going to need to see a demonstration never, never thought at some of it that point. Way. It happens every Sunday night in the house of Nick. <laughs> <laughs> the house of Romano. Lord, Lord, of Lord, Romano. Lord Nick of house Romano. Well, you know, it's, it, it's interesting. These, you know, one of the reasons I think we wanted to do this crossover episode is that these shows have come out at basically the same time. They both premiered in, in September and ran for about the same amount that the rings of power finale kind of came a week before 
the House of the Dragon finale. But even before these shows were airing, they've been pitted at against each other since they were in development. That like, who's going to be the next fantasy TV behemoth? Who's going to fill the void of Game of Thrones? Is it going to be the direct successor to Game of Thrones? Or is it going to be the TVization of the biggest fantasy screen franchise of them all? And that's obviously been a, a part of online discourse with these shows coming out that is not something we started. You know, it's just everybody kind of the question on everybody's minds. So with this episode, you know, we wanted to make it less of a competition or a contest or whatever and just kind of celebrate both shows and and give our opinions on the shows we don't usually cover as much. No, this is a competition. This is Elrond and Durin. <laughs> in, All right, that's why Casa Doom. That's you know, I'm Elrond in Casa Doom right now. We're gonna collect our sessions, like all of our, our Lord of the Rings and our, our House of the Dragon sessions. Yeah, I'm showing up like it's all good, we're all friends, and Devin's like, <laughs> no, we have to smash rocks right now. <laughs> no, but but seriously, I'm I am Think kidding. to rocks, not <laughs> smash <laughs> rocks. Yeah. I'm, but I but I'm 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 I am kidding. I, I I'm so Somebody who I think it's probably f- safe to say that the four of us are nerds. We're big, fat what? fantasy nerds. And <laughs> I know this is, will come as a shock uh, to, to all of you, but it, it really has been a joy to each week have, you know, the major water cooler shows and, and be about dragons and mithril and, and, you know, people getting eaten by crabs. Like it's, it's kind of been a joy, like each week to what, what a wealth of riches to talk about fantasy television each week. And it's, it's kind of fascinating just because of the overlaps are hilarious to me. Like I was going through like all of the things that I'm like, like there, there actually is a lot of overlap. Like we've got, you know, two authors who both have the middle initials RR. We've got a lot of magic trees. We've got Valerian Steel. We've got Mithril. I mean, like it's, there's, we've you know. We've got a sexy bad boy in both of them. Like, Damn you right know. we do. I will say I never thought I'd be attracted to Sauron, but yet here we are. And I'm <laughs> here just, we I'm are. Little yeah. It's mm-hmm. hot yeah. Sauron summer. <laughs> it <football>. is. <laughs> Whereas I do have to say, as an OG Doctor Who stan, I am delighted by all these people being like, wait, Matt Smith is really weird looking, but also really hot. And I'm like, yes, welcome to 2012 Tumblr. Yeah, w- welcome to discussions about 10 years, 10 years late on that one. Yeah. But, you know, we also have two actors who are now both part of the Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings universe, Robert Arameo and what's the other one? Joseph Maul. Joseph Maul, who was Benjen St- frozen Benjamin Stark. Um, right, right. And- oh, my God. God. Now is back as the the leader of these orcs, and then, like you said, Robert Arameo, who was Baby Ned Stark on the OG Game of Thrones, and is now an ethereal elvish princeling. So um, he's not a princeling. He's he's you know he's. A <laughs> girl, I mean, but, but you still. know what the the interesting thing is about? I kind of got in. I got into Game of Thrones because of Sean Bean because I was so into Lord of the Rings, and then when they like he was coming out in this Game of Thrones show, and I had somehow never heard of the books, which I thought was like I was like, how did I somehow avoid? like avoid this and so it was like it was really like him and my love of lord of the rings that kind of got me into game of thrones so kind of was all cyclical cyclical for me well yeah i mean everybody always talks about how george r R. martin has obviously constructed you know kind of reshaped modern fantasy he's sort of the the preeminent american fantasy writer but i mean he's talked many times and and about how and it's kind of hard to pick a fantasy project that isn't inspired by jrr tolkien's work you know it is there's there's a lot of overlap but there's also sort of a rebuke to a lot of of tolkien's work well devin it's like what we've said about how tolkien in so much of lord of the rings is like one-upping macbeth 
and is like, like he's reading Macbeth as a young man and is like, this is so awesome, but I wish it was more like what I thought it would be instead of these wraparounds. So instead of like, oh, the loophole in this, you can't get killed by a man is that he was born via C-section. Ha! Like, I'm going to do it as a woman can be the loophole in that. And, oh, t- a, a, a forest is going to come marching, but really it's just a bunch of guys covered in branches. I'm going to actually make a, a, a living forest that can walk and move and fight. Those are the ways that Lord of the Rings kind of is Tolkien's improvement on on things he didn't that weren't totally fulfilling for him in Macbeth. Uh, Martin has been very vocal about this, that he has some of that relationship to Tolkien and Lord of the Rings, specifically with Gandalf's resurrection, is that Gandalf dies in fellowship and Martin often says that Gandalf should have stayed dead because that's such a big moment. And then it gets kind of ruined by his resurrection. Uh, you know, the way the resurrection plays into Tolkien's Catholic faith and stuff, which was very important to him. But that's why Sean Bean at Ned Stark in Game of Thrones is killed and stays dead. But yet Jon Snow but came see, back. But, but he hasn't written it <laughs> yet. Him. He yeah. hasn't written that yet. So and that may be the big reason that he can't finish it. Because in order to finish the story, he has to break his own rules. That's that always would be, been kind of That would be thing. pretty ballsy if he's just like, John, he's dead. He's not the prince that was promised. That's, that's what you think after you finish Winds of, uh, not Winds of Winter, Dance with Dragons. If, if George just chose chaos and when he is writing Winds of Winter, whenever he finishes it, I just want him to choose chaos. <laughs> I mean, I respect it. I mean, I think I think more more artists should just be like, what's the most chaotic story decision I could make right now? Yeah. And so Bran's not going to be king. Like, you know, Daenerys doesn't lose her mind. Fingers crossed. I mean, we'll, we'll see. But yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's, and what a, what a gift it is to be, you know, have, have these sort of big high budget fantasy stories, not just be, you know, set up sort of like a curiosity or a thing just for nerds, but to be like the major pop culture stories of, of, you know, this, this whole time period. And also they're just so much fun and there there's there, I, there's a lot of things i like about house of the dragon that i think it improves on on things in in game of thrones and there's a lot of things about you know rings of power that i'm like oh they did that really well and i've, I've been very impressed you know I, I was binging you know some of the last episodes of, of house of the dragon yesterday and i was just like man i love sword fights i love stunts i love all <laughs> of this you know and and that's something i've been really you know loved about rings of power is like you know all the practical makeup and you know orcs and and fights scenes and and all those things and you know but i think we generally talk about house of the dragon is a far more brutal world than rings of power rings of power is generally more optimistic but also i was like there's actually a lot of pretty brutal stuff that happens in in rings of power too i mean it's I, I think there's some brutal violence and, and and blood. It's nowhere near on the level of, of House of the Dragon. But I was like, there's there was a couple of moments in Rings of Power. I was like, ooh, uh, Halbrand breaking that dude's bones or, you know, Bronwyn getting arrows ripped out of her flesh, you know, in the big battle scene. I was like, ooh. There's, there's a couple. But I, I have to say nothing compares to the birth scenes in House of the Dragons. Like that last birth scene, I was like, I don't know. Blah. Yeah. So yeah. many traumatic birth scenes. I think that is one one thing that one point in Rings of Power's favor is that it doesn't have any any traumatic birth yeah, scenes. It's much less traumatic if you've given birth. <laughs> I will say that. Much less traumatic. So, you know, anybody who's out there who's listened to both podcasts and and I hope anybody who's only listened to one checks out the other after our collision here. But I have I appeared on West of Westeros a couple times. Traitor. But Devin, you never did. <laughs> yeah, no, so Devin. I- 
I am kind of dying to know some more of your thoughts about House of the Dragon. You're kind of the one among us four who hasn't really weighed in on the other show. I mean, like, are you do you support the blacks or the greens? Like, give us some of your thoughts about what characters kind of stick out to you. About Have you read Fire and Blood, Devin, or no? No, I never read Fire and Blood. So this was all new to me. This whole I mean, like, I, I knew the basic arcs, you know, uh, of sort of the storyline, you know, and, and, and some of the major players just by osmosis, just by reading about, you know, things online and just being a, a fan on the internet. But this was pretty new to me. And I have to say, I, when the show started, I was very burned out on Game of Thrones. I was very exhausted by Game of Thrones discourse sort of after the the finale. And I, I was just like, oh, really? We're doing another, we're going back to Westeros again. And I was pleasantly surprised to be proven wrong. I was surprised by how quickly I was, you know, brought back into this world. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is this is everything I loved about Game of Thrones, along with some of the things where I'm like, oh, my God, can we can we stop with the, you know, the, the very gratuitous violence scenes? And oh, my God, can we please stop having to make me adjust the brightness settings on my television? <laughs> my number one pet peeve, questions heard me yell about it. This is the thing where I think Lord of the Rings has the absolute advantage of being able to actually see what the hell is going on. No, but I I went from being very skeptical and being like, oh, this is an obligation. I guess I'll watch, you know, House of the Dragon to being like, oh, no, I'm actually looking forward to this each week. And like, I, I really do enjoy spending time with these characters. And I think for me, that comes down to the performances. I think they really take what is otherwise, you know, and I, I, th- I feel the same way about Rings of Power. You know, I think the performances from the actors really, really elevate it for me. When the, the the time jump happens in what, episode six, I was a little bit like, I was a little heartbroken because I've become so attached to these, these young actors. And I was like, I can't imagine, you know, what the rest of this this story will look like without them. And then immediately was won over. So I, I don't know. And I mean, look, I'm a Matt Smith stan. What can I say? <laughs> I'm going to keep watching this show. <laughs> like, I love me some, some Matt Smith. So, yeah, that's that's my sort of overall thoughts. I went from being, like many people, I'm sure, sort of like wary and sort of burned out on Game of Thrones to being like, no, I this is a world I like spending time in. And I it's I look forward to it each week. Yeah, I, I so for me with The Rings of Power... I read The Lord of the Rings in high school, haven't read them since. I read The Hobbit also in high school, haven't read it since. Have not read The Summerillion. So it's been wonderful to listen to your podcast and get all the juicy (laughs) details on everything that I'm missing. I really enjoyed how this show embraced the serialized storytelling more so than I think House of the Dragon. Because, I mean, even the showrunners of House of the Dragon will be like, yeah, we have a lot of time jumps, so we kind of have to have a beginning and a end for each episode, and people can kind of, you know, jump in and out of them. But, like, there were cliffhangers in The Rings of Power. There's a season-long mystery about Sauron. And also, you have stunt queens. Oh, my God, we thought <laughs> the Targaryens were the only stunt queens. But <laughs> I love this shape-changing, Sauron-loving, bald zealot person. (laughs) I don't know the exact terminology, but I'm like, it's like a drag race reveal. We love a reveal. (laughs) And it also had a a lot of the spectacle that I was kind of missing a little bit from House of the Dragon. We're getting it more now that we're in the finale with the first dragon battle and all of that. But I felt like almost every episode of The Rings of Power had some kind of 
fantastical spectacle that you could really enjoy. Also, love Galadriel. Oh my god, I think my favorite scene was just that one, just that one scene where she's a Numenor and all the other fighters are training and she's dancing about them. Like, it's Lord of the Rings, I felt, embraced just the pure joy of fantasy, whereas House of the Dragon's like, no, we're going to kill people and it's going to be terrible. <laughs> and there's going to be incest and everybody's <laughs> rotten. You know? I mean, that's kind of the the general mission statement for, for each show is so different. I mean, uh, Tolkien has always been about, you know, man, wouldn't it be lovely to live in this this world and be a hobbit? And like, I mean, yeah, there would be a lot of terrible things that could also happen. But like, as a general rule, fantasy is escapism. Whereas George R. R. Martin is like, no, being in a fantasy story would be the worst thing possible. You couldn't pay me. No, there's so many ways to die. Yeah. <laughs> Even if you're like a decent person, doesn't matter. You're still going to die. But Nick, I'm glad you pointed out that excellent, excellent blonde representation on, on both of these shows. We've got Galadriel with her big, long, beautiful hair and all the Targaryens. With their less beautiful hair. I will admit. <laughs> some, some of them with better hair than others, we'll say. Yeah. But yeah, no, we we love the aesthetic. So I'm going to say my favorite character, I think, is Galadriel. But my favorite actor is, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, the actress behind Disa, Sophia Nomvedi. She is just so excited to talk about this show every single chance she gets. And it's so infectious. I absolutely love it. Christian and Devin, what are your, do you have favorite like power players on House of the Dragon versus like the actors who play them? I mean, I just got to say, because his run kind of ended since the last time I was on West of Westeros, Patty Considine totally blew me away this season as King Viserys. And I think there's stuff to talk about with both these shows. I think both these shows have a pretty interesting relationship to their source material. Even though Rings of Power isn't adapting something directly, it's playing with your knowledge of what's in the Silmarillion and what's, you know, the, 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 the opening flashback of Lord of the Rings, the last alliance of elves and men that it's playing with in unexpected ways. And Devin, you didn't read Fire and Blood at all. I like Nick and Lauren was a big fan of Fire and Blood. And I have been so pleasantly surprised throughout at how the the show House of the Dragon has, I I don't know if I would say improved, but taken a different approach to its story than Fire and Blood and, and done some interesting things that, brought stuff out of the story that aren't there in Fire and Blood. And and Patty Considine's performance as King Viserys for me is kind of the the hallmark of that because that is a character who is like almost unremarkable in the book and is like just kind of you just kind of get by the numbers like oh this was a king he wanted to please everybody which is a bad thing for a king to do because then you're just going to piss everybody off inevitably and he died and then the war broke out basically as soon as he died. And yet Patty brought to this character so much. I I mean, I just like fell in love with him, even though obviously I can see his flaws and how this conflict he's so desperate to stop is is only going to happen anyway. Adding Aegon's prophecy, you know, this is another element of relationship to the source material that the characters know, you know, having the characters or at least some of the characters know that the ice zombie apocalypse is coming and still screw everything up and go through this horrible civil war that's going to wreck and destabilize the continent gives it such tragedy and pathos i think rings of power has its own versions of that in a couple different ways especially with the southlands and mordor and and sauron and stuff but his performance kind of just totally blew me away by his final episode i mean nick and lauren you guys covered this but 
like like I'm moved to tears by just the sight of him walking across a room for five minutes. Oh yeah, that totally got me when I saw the screener. I really want him to be in in Emmy contention next year. I, I just think it's incredible. And even Martin himself had posted a blog after the episode where he died, basically saying exactly what I'm saying. Like, I almost want to go back and rewrite the parts of Fire and Blood about Viserys <laughs> because he brought stuff out of that character that was not on the page, that is not from me, that I thought was so interesting. And then, so that's my main thing about House of the Dragon. But then I also want to give a shout out to Olivia Cook. You know, this was a... You know, Devin, as you're saying, such a big part of House of the Dragons first season was these time jumps, which Rings of Power took a different, instead of doing time jumps, Rings of Power kind of just is compressing everything so that things that that in Tolkien's indices or whatever happen over a long period of time are instead all happening at once. House of the Dragon obviously is instead doing the passage of, of time. And so, you know, we we all loved those early actresses, Millie Alcock and Emily Carey, who introduced us to Rhaenyra and Alicent, had such a youthful power to them. And and there was a big question kind of hanging over the season of, am I going to be able to follow these characters into their time jump and into the older actors? And Olivia Cook's performance in particular as the grown-up Alicent uh, really wowed me over, over a couple episodes and really helped me again, when it comes to source material, I really feel like I'm, 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 she's helping me wrap my head around a character that in the book is kind of hard to, to, to totally understand. And even in the early episodes of the show was like, I don't quite know what this woman is thinking or where she's going or what she wants. And by the end of the season, I feel like I totally do. And so those are the two kind of performers I want to shout out from House of the Dragon. Although it's, it's a great cast all around and I think it's a great balance of like both old veteran actors like Patty Considine, like Reese Yvonne, who know exactly what they're doing and can spice up a, a, a scene where they're just sitting around a table and you have these young vivacious stars who are bringing kind of that nuclear charisma. It's a great balance, I think. Yeah, Lauren wrote a great piece specifically for EW.com specifically about Olivia Cook's performance that I, I thought was a great read. No, thank you. I just yeah, it just went up last night. So I don't think oh, no, I did tweet it out. I couldn't remember <laughs> if I had but I, I that's what I did think like because I hated Allison in the book. I was like this, this, I won't say it. It's <laughs> 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 just like I was like this woman like she's you know, and so I thought Olivia gave a lot of texture to a character that, you know, like in the book is just kind of like an ambitious schemer, like the stepmother from hell, like I said in my in my piece. And she made it like much more like this person who's been kind of ground down by the patriarchy that she's living under and doesn't realize it and is just basically living to serve the whims of the men around her. And she's miserable and doesn't seem to even realize it. And she she can't even like, you know, that great line that Renée said about, you know, making a window into her prison. And that was sort of, you know, I just thought that like Olivia Cook brought so much uh, texture to that as well. But like Devin, I know you're a Matt Smith fan girl, but was there anybody else on House of the Dragon? I mean, we love my boy Matt Smith. I also, you know, was was really really impressed by Millie Alcock as as the young Rhaenyra. I just like every time she was on screen, I was like, she was a was an actor I was totally unfamiliar with, as I, I think you know probably a lot of people were, and I was just like very very impressed by how she carried those specifically the first you know five episodes yeah i thought she was great too and i I mean she had like the showier role than emily carried it and it was funny because like emily carry at first i wasn't really quite sure about her but then as i rewatched was rewatching the episodes during the season i thought she was really showing like how much 
Alicent was just trying to serve the whims of her father, but just wasn't like, you know, like nothing that she was doing was for her own happiness. It was just doing because of her duty and how like late later on that, that devotion to her duty kind of just turned her into this bitter wreck, you know, that she had been doing everything that she had said. And she just kept getting more and more bitter that Rhaenyra wasn't doing what she was supposed to be doing. And Rhaenyra like deigned to like actually, you know, have a a sexual relationship she was enjoying and all of this other stuff. So I thought that was pretty fascinating. There's one aspect about house of the dragon in terms of the text to fire and blood that I thought there was like a very interesting conversation they were having about, how history is written and how the history really is because house of the dragon is supposed to be the the real events that actually happen whereas fire and blood is like the interpretation of these events and so like i thought that was like a very interesting conversation that the show was having with the book about like you know how this really was but how it got kind of recorded in history so i thought that was a pretty interesting thing yeah i saw i saw someone point out Fire and Blood heads know that throughout the it's written by a historian, a fictional historian character who was not alive at the time and is writing up, you know, the Wikipedia page basically is like what you're reading. And there are three main accounts that he's kind of choosing between at any time. And you as the reader are basically able to choose your own adventure. And which one do you believe more? And a Fire and Blood heads know that that one of those accounts, certainly the most salacious one, is supposedly written by a court jester named Mushroom, who is not a character on the show, has not appeared. And so that creates this fascinating thing where like when you're reading Fire and Blood, Mushroom's account seems like, oh, well, you know, I know how it is. Like, even if that's the spiciest one, it's the jester, you know, those those kinds of people, they know the real deets. And, it, and you know, I'm reading the real dirt here. And now, you know, if you're kind of treating them in conversation, it's like, well, that guy wasn't even there. He made it all up. Like That's why like I, I joked on our podcast that I think Mushroom was really either Laris's account or Otto's account of the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, I just think yeah. that this oh, was like God, this was their good. anonymous account of what Rhaenyra. That would be up really to. funny to imagine it being <laughs> yeah. Otto. Yeah, <laughs> Otto is getting a book deal yeah. while, <laughs> the scenes while all of this is happening. Laris is logging on, logging out of his Laris account, logging into his Mushroom account. XOXO, it's me, Gossip <laughs> Mushroom. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break, uh, but when we come back, you can hear more of our thoughts on House of the Dragon and The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to this special crossover episode of West of Westeros and All Rings Considered, where we are talking about the House of the Dragon and the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. I was a big fan of Clubfoot on West of Westeros. That was before his weird little foot fetish thing, which not <laughs> not king shaming, but that character has been, you know, he was very interesting in Fire and Blood. Why, why I'm so fascinated by him since Fire and Blood is because you don't, you're not given any POV or explanation of why he is the way he is or why he's doing the things he's doing. And House of the Dragon has filled in some of those blanks with that character very interestingly. And, and some of it, as Nick has reported, has come from, you know, the, the, the prevalence of 
female writers and and artists uh, and directors on that series and and female writers kind of being like filling in that blank and being like well this ca- like i know this character must have this kind of motivation or something and i think that you know as we're talking about our favorite characters from both shows a common a commonality that that these programs have is definitely a focus on female characters and not even kind of the maybe the worn out trope of like a, a powerful female character or a badass female character but just showing how female characters navigate these difficult fantasy worlds and how they are like you said how they are in house of the dragon really emphasizing the brutality of childbirth and and forced childbirth and what a body horror show pregnancy was before the drugs and surgery techniques we have now there's none of that in rings of power tolkien tolkien's world doesn't focus a lot on biology or or reproduction as such and yet you know you have the the dwarf princess who is kind of pushing her husband my favorite character prince durin to kind of take over this this power structure and and if he does she will kind of clearly be the power behind the throne like he's just kind of a jolly a swaggering guy but does whatever his wife tells him and then you have galadriel of course who is the most badass warrior we see on season one of of rings of power and yet you get the sense that a lot of that is almost like she's pushing herself in that direction because she is so often belittled or or underestimated by the male authority figures like Gilgalad and Elrond around her. So kind of interesting. I wonder if, if, if you guys have any other thoughts about these shows, kind of differing takes on female characters, both of which I think come from a lack of female representation or, or an underplaying of female characters in the original stories, Lord of the Rings, the books have almost none other than Eowyn queen, you know, the, the Peter Jackson movies like took a male character out to, to give Liv Tyler's Arwen more things to do. Game of Thrones had fascinating female characters, but there was, there was a lot of conversation throughout that show's run about, are we focusing enough on these characters? Are we seeing from their viewpoint? Or are they just kind of being tossed around? I think it's clear that both shows have have taken it upon themselves, both behind the camera and in front of the camera, to give us more more female perspectives on these medieval fantasy worlds. Yeah, and in Rings of Power, I think that's something we see with specifically with Queen Regent Muriel, you know, played by Cynthia Adai Robinson. You know, her relationship with her ailing father, the way she's sort of trying to keep this this kingdom together felt very game of a lot of the Numenor stuff felt very kind of House of the Dragon kind of kind of Game of Thrones to me. Just that then that you have, you know, scheming political advisors and, you know, this this seemingly idyllic, you know, kind of beautiful city that everybody and and island that everybody wants to rule, but in reality ruling it kind of sucks, which feels very Game of Thrones to me, um, and sort of the, the the factions where you you see you know between the faithful the people who support the elves and and the old ways and the and the sort of new Numenorians felt very Team Green and Team Black you know as, as far as those sort of div- seeing those divisions kind of uh, arise and, and seeing people take sides on either one. It is very interesting to kind of see how 
each of these shows kind of play with all of that. I, I th- it's definitely been a topic of conversation for House of the Dragon, because even though we have people like Sarah Hess, who's a writer and executive producer behind the scenes, we have two female directors, Claire Kilner and Gita Patel. But it's still at the end of the day, headed by Ryan Condal and Miguel Sapochnik, at least for season one. And then in season two, um, moving forward, it's going to be Ryan Condal. So there's been a lot of discussion about the merits of some of these scenes, especially like the childbirth birthing sequences we've talked we've mentioned earlier and i think the the interesting thing for better or worse is like everybody seems to have a different response like when you ask like sarah hess versus ryan condal versus Mikhail safochnik versus claire kilner i think a great example of this is rainis targaryen in episode eight when she bursts out of the dragon pit during the coronation on the back of maylis we were trying to figure out, like, why the heck did she let them all live after they usurped the throne from Rhaenyra? I spoke to Eve Best. I spoke to Claire Kilner. Claire was very much of the mindset, like, oh, this isn't really her war to wage. If there's a war going on, she's not going to be the one to start it. Eve Best was like, well, I feel like she found, a, you know, a mutual respect with Allison in that they are both women who are going about this patriarchal world and dealing with all of this bullshit. And then Ryan Condal was just like, well, she identified with Allison as a mother and it's a heroic moment for her. And I'm just like, why can't... And then we get to the episode and Rhaenys is like, yeah, this isn't my war to fight. This is your war. I'm not going to be the It's like, why can't we just say that? It's in the script. I don't know. It just, it just felt like there were so many... I, I mean, I, kind of too many cooks in the kitchen almost. Or, But I also, even if it wasn't too many cooks in the kitchen, because I still liked that scene. I thought it was really cool, even if I'm like, I don't really understand the point of it, especially because it's not in the book. And I feel like that's a big thing that the historians would want to put into the account of Westeros. But it really just kind of highlighted that, I don't know, like the the male heads of this show are, have a very different perspective to, than the women who are actually writing some of these sequences and directing them. But the one thing that I have welcomed about House of the Dragon is there was so much unnecessary TNA in Game of Thrones and like things where you're just like, oh God, it's like, this is so male gazy right now. And so when there were actual sex scenes in this, and I think Claire Kilmer did one of them, I think she did episode four where you see Rhaenyra having, you know, her, incest fest with her uncle in the the street of silk but also the uh her having sex with Kristen cole and then allison having unpleasant time with viserys in bed but you, it was very much like that i i felt like that was filmed much more from a female perspective 100 and i i really yeah i really welcomed that because it wasn't titillation for titillation's sake it was really about like what these characters were going through at the time. And so, and I don't know how much of Sarah Hess has been having an influence on this stuff, but I have really been glad that the, they they have cut back on that just like you know just can't I, like sex I remember in Game of Thrones sex position sex position where it was just like for some reason we would be in the brothel with Littlefinger and he'd be you know like they'd be opining about something but then like two you know people were going at it at the same time and you're just like I was just I've been so glad that they've cut the sex position out that's because that's annoyed me so much in Game of Thrones yeah that almost it almost feels like that came from an from a belief that a mostly men are going to be watching this show and B in order to keep them engaged, we have to give them a steady supply of TNA. Well, it was sort of like a very much like HBO stuff was 
always kind of like that. Like, you know, the, the Sopranos had a lot of nudity where you didn't necessarily need it. And, and like a lot of, of HBO shows have always just had that kind of, this was kind of like a very like early, you know, late 90s, early 2000 kind of HBO thing. And I'm glad they really cut back on it this time. Like I, I've, I've appreciated that as just a, like a, a female viewer. Yeah. And and I'm just one, you know, I mean, that's a great point about HBO. I'm, I also just feel like there has been this stereotype for a long time that that fantasy swords stuff is like a boy genre and is like a boy thing and and they're the and so put in a male gazy sex because there's going to be males watching them and obviously as our two pod our two ew podcasts make clear that's not the case at all and and women are, are just as interested in these stories as men are so why not bring that forward into the writers and directors working on it and the characters themselves kind of navigating this world? Rings of Power is is similar to, to House of the Dragon, then it's headed by two men and is based on this writings by uh, a dead man. And so, you know, I just, since Nick made note of that, I just wanted to say that it's true of Rings of Power too, but they've brought in a lot of interesting female performers and, and writers to kind of bring those characters to life in an interesting way where they can. Devin, were there any, to, to what Nick was saying, because because I agreed that, that the rainy scene almost didn't make sense until I could hear from Eve Best about it. What of all the Rings of Power interviews you did this season do you think best explained stuff that was happening in the show that was maybe a little ambiguous? Well, I think for me... I, I don't I don't know if it was ambiguous on screen, but I think something that really won me over is, you know, the, the speaking to Charlie Vickers about the Sauron reveal. And I and and you can listen to that that interview on on one of our episodes where, you know, I think that's that's it's a big swing. It's kind of a it's an interesting reveal. I think for me, I was a little, you know, I'm a little bit of a book purist. I'm like, well, what happened to Anatar, the Lord of the Gifts, who was supposed to manipulate Celebrimbor and show up as a beautiful elf? But hearing Charlie Vickers talk about it, and this is something the showrunners apparently, you know, they they all had conversations together, you know, about this idea of, you know, it being rooted in Tolkien and, and the idea of, you know, the idea of a repentant Sauron in the Second Age is something that is that actually Tolkien did write about. And, and just hearing Charlie's, and, and the fact that he flat out said, I didn't even ask him, but he, he flat out said that, you know, the, the relationship between Sauron and Galadriel, he's like, he doesn't see it as, as romantic. I don't think there's romantic things there. He just sees her as an as, as a valuable ally. And he says, okay, if she won't rule with me, then I can do it myself. But but and so that that I thought was like very interesting. And because I think you could read some of those interactions as romantic, and I didn't really love that, although I think they have great chemistry and I think they should hundred percent kiss just because they're very beautiful people. But from a story <laughs> <Yeah>. perspective. <laughs> We ship it. Yeah. You know, we look, we love a ship. But from a from a story perspective, I, I thought that was that was really fascinating. And because that was one where I was very much like, eh, I don't know about the, like this is an interesting reveal, but then like the more I've read about it, the more I, I've listened to Charlie Vickers talk about it. I'm like, wait, I actually really like this. And I'm actually really excited as to how this sets up the future of the show. I almost thought there was going to be a dueling timeline situation. Like my first theory when we were still trying to figure out who Sauron was, I was like, 
oh, like Galadriel and all the Numenorians, the army, they're going to get to the Southlands and see it all burned down. And then we're going to get the reveal that this battle <laughs> with Arondir and Bronwyn has already happened. Mm. I was, I, that was one of, <laughs> that was one of my biggest kind of fan theories watching this. Yeah. And- this isn't the Witcher where there's like 9,000 different timelines all happening at the same time. <laughs> Although there are some, some great blonde wigs on, on all shows. Yeah. But I was definitely, like kicking myself with the Sauron reveal because I was like, oh, it, it makes he's a new character, newly introduced to the show. The signs are all there. Oh my god! I did in fact call it. Just gonna pat myself on the back one more time. That's like the interesting <laughs> thing is like when I I like I was kind of with Rings of Power. I would kind of keep catching up in like two episodes at a time. Like you know, so it would be like it was like oh well. I'll, so every time I was watching, I was watching two episodes at a time, and the. First first like couple episodes i wasn't even thinking about sauron at all because like i was just watching it by myself and i was like just not listening to the the dialogue about it but i I did i did enjoy that they did turn halbrand into sauron because i thought that was made it a like sauron you always just kind of just like i i'm not a book purist i haven't read anything outside of like the lord of the rings and the appendices so i never really thought of sauron as an actual person as opposed to a giant flaming eyeball yeah, he's just a giant flame like i know he was at one point like you know because i know isiodore battled him so i know at one point he was a creature of some sort but i never thought of him as having like a like an almost a human form so i, I was just kind of like but i thought vickers did like in the final like the final where the reveal i thought was really well done because i think also that did reveal a sign of, of vickers that you know he was kind of keeping shelved for a while and then it was like when it when he was like yeah, I'm so, you know, fooled you and that kind of stuff. And, and and then I thought like, oh, well, I'm much more interested to see him in season two and where he takes that as this, you know, personification of, of evil. What I'm excited about with Sauron is the fact that like, just because it's been also like so long since I've read the books, like, uh, what are Sauron's actual powers? The rings of power? What beyond invisibility and seeming like super strength does it actually do? I want to know. <laughs> yeah, this is one of the things that's kind of amazing about the one ring, perhaps the most famous magical artifact weapon of all time, is that its powers have always been very vaguely defined. And Sauron himself has mostly existed more almost as a metaphor or like a synecdoche for evil than like a living, breathing character who can talk to you. So I'm very interested, like throughout Lord of the Rings, even in the Peter Jackson movies that I was rewatching for the podcast recently, they talk about the ring as if it's a nuke or something, as if it has some power. And yet all you see it do is is turn someone invisible. There's a disconnect there that I think season the, the future seasons, now that the rings are being forged, has the opportunity to kind of fill in. But Devin, you know, why don't we go off that? Uh, Nick and Lauren talking about the future of Rings of Power. What, what do you want to see in House of the Dragon season two? Or what are you looking forward to from the future of that show? Oh, I know what Lauren wants to say. <laughs> Dragons. I, a good question. I want to see more memeable Matt Smith moments, which I feel like is... Is is not too 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 much of a high asks uh, high high ask. I don't know. I'm I'm just I I've been very uh, the journey of the show for the first season for me has been going from skepticism to being like all in. And so I'm just I'm I just want more of the things that made me kind of fall in love with this show. These lovely little kind of character moments and like 
little conversations that, I mean, like, yeah, I love a big battle. I love a dragon, you know, crisping everybody. And, you know, like, I love all those kind of stuff. But, like, just some of the little, I, I don't know. I just, I really am enjoying the tone of the show. And I'm, I'm excited to see it kind of continue with, with season two. Do you want any Millie Alcock flashbacks? I mean, yeah, I love Millie Alcock. I mean, I'm, I'm into it. Maybe they'll play around more with the the time frame. Yeah, I'm curious how the whether what what they'll do with the time frame because correct me if I'm wrong, I think they've said that they're sort of done with like the big time there's not going to be any more it's not the crown, they're not going to be recasting everybody. We are now kind of in the in real time. Except there there's a couple of characters uh towards the end of the dance of the dragon that need to be a lot older than they actually are. So I'm kind of I was joking that I was like that we're going to get like soap opera, you know, in one episode like all of a sudden this, you know, 2 or 3 year old all of a sudden becomes 10, you know, and we're just not even going to comment on it. It's just like they're going to show up later on and they're going to be a lot older. We can do some Patty Considine makeup, like, you know, yeah, it'll be, yeah. you know, exactly. Yeah, they've, they've done it. Proof of concept. Yeah, there's a couple of kids who need to be older than they currently are for for the story to uh to make some some kind of sense all i know for sure is that season two will have a lot more negroni <laughs> with prosecco in it Ooh, stunning stunning, stunning. Ooh, stunning. Ooh, stunning. <laughs> all right folks i think on that note i think we i think we got to wrap it up I think, yeah, I, think yeah. I think so. This has been so wonderful. Thank yeah. you for having us. This has been such a joy. And for those of you at home, thank you so much for joining us. You can listen to both of our podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, that's West of Westeros with Lauren and Nick and All Rings Considered with me and Christian. Come find us on social media and stay tuned to EW.com for lots and lots of coverage about both shows. Just because they're both on hiatus does not mean that the coverage will stop. We are going to, as you can see, there is a lot to talk about with both of these shows and we're going to keep talking about it. So thank you all for joining us. And that's it for this episode of West of Westeros. If you liked what you heard, follow, rate the podcast, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. To keep the conversation going, follow Entertainment Weekly on all socials, at EW on Twitter, and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag us at at Nick A. Romano and at Morglar. This episode of West of Westeros is hosted by Nick Romano and Lauren Morgan. Produced by Chanel Johnson, Sammy Junio, Nick Romano, and Lauren Morgan. Edited by Michael Classic. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. New episodes of West of Westeros come every Sunday right after the episodes of House of the Dragon air on HBO and stream on HBO Max. Stay tuned.